Welcome to the John Campia Podcast, episode number 50, recorded Thursday, June the 29th, 2017. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the John Campia Podcast. I am, of course, your host, John Campia. And uh, for those of you listening to this on the podcast feed, you're not probably going to notice too much different. But if you're watching on the YouTube feed, you'll notice something different. I actually have the camera turned on now uh, so you can see me on video. Now, I've had a bunch of people asking me to turn the camera on. And to let you know, the reason why I haven't had the camera on is because to do an audio podcast, a 30-minute podcast, I usually take about an hour and a half because I take breaks, I pause, I edit things out, I do some quick fact-checking, blah, 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 blah. And I do a lot of editing to tighten it up to a half hour and I don't even have to shower before I do an audio podcast. But enough of you have asked me to try it this way. So you're going to see some jarring cuts because I'm still going to want to edit this together. But you guys asked for it. So I'm going to try doing it on video and see what you guys think about it. So do me a favor. Jump into the comment section. If you're somebody who consumes the John Campia podcast on the YouTube channel as opposed to the podcast feed, uh, jump into the comments and let me know what you think about the new style. As you can see, I'm, this is supposed to be laid back and relaxed because all I do is take the questions you guys send in on the John Campia podcast. I talk about the movie news on the movie vlog a little bit later today. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to try it. I'm going to do it low key, low energy, very little effort. As you can see, I've put no effort into the set and we're just going to try it like this. So let me know what you guys think. Uh, saw Spider-Man Homecoming last night and I liked it very much. I have my review up on the YouTube channel. So just, if you're listening to this on the podcast feed, go to my YouTube channel. It's at uh, the youtube.com slash John Campia. Go check it out there. And another movie opens tonight that I have not done a review for. And that's the new Will Ferrell, Amy Puller movie, The House. Now, I thought that the trailers have looked, for The House have looked really good. But they are not screening the house for critics at all. They did not screen it for critics at all. And when a studio has a movie with Will Ferrell and Amy Puller, two big stars, and they don't even screen it for the critics, that is a massive red flag that the movie probably sucks. Now, I don't know that it does suck. I'm going to go out and see it tonight and I'll review it tonight and put it up on my channel. But uh, usually when they hide it from critics, that's a pretty bad sign. Because if they thought critics would like the movie, they would have showed it to critics and let the word of mouth get out there and let the positive reviews come out. But it's probably going to be pretty bad. But I'm going to go see it tonight anyway. I'm thinking about doing a double feature tonight because another movie that comes out that I did not get a chance to catch any of the press screenings for was that new movie by Sofia Coppola, The Beguiled. And that's with Colin Farrell in it. And this movie looks really interesting to me. I'm hearing some pretty good things. So I might double feature that tonight, or I might see The House tonight and then see The Beguiled tomorrow. I'm not really sure. But anyway, what I like to do in the John Campion Podcast is just take your questions. Now, how do you get your opinion, your topic, or your question to me? Just email me at thejohncampiapodcast at gmail.com or make sure you're following me on social media, which you can see right here on Twitter or on Facebook, just at John Campia, because like every night I'll put up on my Facebook page a call for questions saying, hey guys, you've got questions, leave them here right now. So with that out of the way, I've got a few questions here I've picked out for today. So let's get into it. The first question today comes to us from Michael Piment, who writes... Hey, John, I have a question for the John Campia podcast. Well, that's what we're doing. Lionsgate just released the first trailer for the My Little Pony movie. My question is, is this movie coming out a bit too late? I don't watch My Little Pony, so I can't say for sure, but I don't think it's nearly as big as it was a few years ago. 
Will people pay to see it in theaters? Would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Um, I, you know what? My thinking is the same way as yours. It's like, you're doing a My Little Pony movie? Shouldn't you have done that in like 1991 or something like that? Which I'm sure they did. I just can't remember it. It does seem odd, but there is a fairly popular, uh, cartoon show on that this movie is based on. It looks like this movie is based on the cartoon show from what I've seen. Also, this movie looks really cheap. I mean, if you look at the animation style, they did not put $100 million. Hasbro did not put $100 million into making this film. Now, let me give you a big preface, okay? Let me give you a big disclaimer. My wife is one of the senior people at Hasbro. So my wife works for Hasbro. So take anything I say with a giant grain of salt, okay? So just, I want to put that disclaimer out there. So they put this out and it it looks really cheap. The animation looks super cheap. So clearly they didn't spend a ton of money into making this thing. It looks like it's just an extension of the TV show that they do, if I'm even remembering that right. So that also probably takes away from a lot of the expense. So it doesn't really need to make that much. Also... I think we might be underestimating a little bit how popular My Little Pony franchise is. There was just a documentary out a couple years ago that was narrated by John Delancey, who played Q in Star Trek The Next Generation. He was awesome in that. And it's called Bronies. And if you don't know what a brony is, and I didn't know what a brony was at the time, bronies are grown men who like My Little Pony, and they call themselves bronies. And there's this entire documentary on bronies that is, like I said, narrated by John Delancey. You should check that out. So uh, there might be an audience for it, as a matter of fact. Clearly, this is not a movie that's targeted at me. Clearly, they're not trying to make a good movie. Because, you know, when you get films like Pixar or even non-Pixar films like How to Train Your Dragon and things like that, they make movies that they want to appeal to children, but they also set out to make good movies that everybody can enjoy. When you're talking about a My Little Pony movie, and if you look at the trailer, they are clearly, they don't care. They're just making something that the children will like, and probably bronies. So uh, we'll have to wait and see. But again, it looks so low budget, it doesn't look like they need to make that much money. All right, let's move on to the next question. And the next question today comes to us from John Wheeler, who writes, Hey, John, as a fellow poker player, what are your favorite poker movies? Mine is Rounders, hands down. Um, yeah, Rounders, if you haven't seen some Matt Damon, um, oh, who else is in it? Ed Norton Jr., Edward Norton, I should say, is in there as well. Rounders, John Malkovich is there. Rounders is a great movie. It's not just a great poker movie. It's a great movie. But if you are a poker fan, it's also a great poker movie. Johnny fucking Chan. Uh, if you've seen the movie, you know what that reference is. It's a wonderful movie. And... It, I don't think it's my favorite one though. I think my favorite one is this little independent film that starred uh, Woody Harrelson and uh, Dennis Fier- uh, Farina, I should say, <clears throat> and a, a bunch of other people whose faces you would recognize. Judy Greer is in there as well. It's called The Grand, and it's kind of an improv movie about this kind of high stakes poker tournament that gets put on and the winner of this poker tournament gets this classic Las Vegas hotel called the Grand and it's really funny and it's really great if you get a chance to watch it look it up you can find it on one of the streaming services I'm sure it's called the Grand look it up that is my favorite poker movie and Rounders would probably be a very close second all right thanks a lot for the question man the next question comes to us from Tom Perkins who writes 
Do you think we will ever see Han, Luke, and Leia share the screen again? Granted, it's quite difficult now with Han Solo's demise in The Force Awakens and the passing of Carrie in December. But with CGI used in Rogue One for Tarkin and The Princess, do you think we could ever see a return of this technology in a future film? Perhaps within the next two saga films as a flashback to when they were all together last? It's an interesting question. I mean, look, we've seen more and more in the last couple of years CGI trying to either replace characters or replace facial features on live human characters. I mean, there have been full CGI characters forever, but very, very rarely human CGI characters. And I remember the first time that a lot of us took notice of this was during uh, X-Men Last Stand, because they had that opening scene where it was supposed to be set like 15 or 20 years ago, whatever, and it's Magneto and Charles at Jean Grey's house talking to Jean Grey's parents. And they used digital effects to de-age them both. Now, the technology wasn't quite there yet, and it looked a little creepy, but it did make a lot of people, for the first time, go, hey, you can legitimately de-age actors. Now, what a lot of people didn't take in consideration was the fact that that process of de-aging is not easy. It's not just hitting a button on a computer. It's a lot of work, a lot of energy, a lot of effort, and that means a lot of money. Because that's what you're paying for with visual effects is time, energy, effort, and talent. And that equals a lot of money to do that. And it's also, it was a very easy thing to do because for the most part, Charles and Magneto were just standing completely still, which makes the work a lot easier. Then we saw something like that again in Ant-Man, where in the opening scene, they de-aged Michael Douglas a bit. But again, that's just very kind of movement was like this, just kind of back and forth a little bit, a lot easier to do. Uh, stuff like that. Then we saw Rogue One, and Rogue One is probably the crown jewel of that type of technology being used in movies. I don't think we've ever seen um, that technology used in movies as effectively as that, because I know a lot of people complain about the look of Tarkin. I thought he looked amazing. I thought he looked great. The Princess Leia part at the end did throw me off a little bit. Now, the question is, will they utilize this kind of stuff to have, you know, the gang back together in a future Star Wars movie? Show a flashback of Han, Luke, and Leia they can, but I don't think they will. I don't think the audience would respond well to that. I think the audience at this point would probably be, it's time to leave them alone. Like Carrie's passed away. And I I think a lot of them are just like, no, don't. And, you know, a lot of people were very upset at the idea of like Star Wars Episode Nine using Carrie Fisher's likeness as a CGI character or whatever. And I can understand that. So while I think it is technologically possible I don't think it's something they're going to do. If they did it, I'm sure it would be fine. It would work fine. But you know what? The technology still isn't quite there yet to really do this on any kind of a big scale. So we'll just have to wait and see what they decide to do. But the technology is advancing every single day. So who knows how that'll turn out. All right. Thanks a lot for the question. We move on now to a question from, who are we going to? Cody Reed. And Cody Reed asks, Do you think the Transformers franchise would be better off if each movie was around 90 minutes? It could condense the story and allow for more screenings per day. Well, yes, if you shortened up the Transformers movies to 90 minutes, or any movie to 90 minutes, you allow for a few more screenings per week. Absolutely you do. But having more screenings per week doesn't make the movie any better. You also ask in the question, if they condense it down to 90 minutes and condense the story, would that make it better? The problem is their stories are crap. 
And it doesn't matter if you condense it down to five minutes or if you stretch it out to 18 hours, the story is still crap. And that's the problem with Transformers. I, everybody who listens to me for any period of time knows, I really like the first Transformers movie a lot. I thought Michael Bay did a great job on the first one. I give him props. There's a number of Michael Bay films I really like, but none of them, other than the first one, are called Transformers. The stories have been garbage. The characters have been garbage. The dialogue has been garbage. Everything about those movies, other than the visual effects, have been complete and utter garbage. And so, when you're asking the question, if they condense it down to 90 minutes, the only reason making a Transformers movie 90 minutes would improve the movie is because it would get me out of the theater faster and would lessen the amount of, you know, entertainment torture that I have to go through watching those things. I mean, I'm serious. Watching Transformers 5 the last night... That was an exercise in pure stamina, trying to watch that movie. Because I wanted to walk out of that movie five minutes in. I kid you not. I wanted to walk into that movie, walk out of that movie, I mean, five minutes into it. It was that bad. And a lot of you guys, I'm sure, have seen it by now. Well, it only made $44 million opening weekend, so maybe not all that many of you have seen it so far. It's doing pretty well internationally, but overall, Transformers The Last Night is going to end up way behind... Uh, what the last film did, and it might actually end up being the lowest of the franchise. We'll have to see. Domestically, it's certainly going to be the lowest grossing uh, film that they have worldwide. We'll have to see where the numbers come in. But yeah, I mean, at this point, the only thing that can improve the Transformers franchise, I think, is to completely gut it, reboot, and start again, and this time make script a priority. Make script the priority over planning your visual effects shots before you even have a good script or a good story or good characters. So do I think shortening up the Transformers movies will make the Transformers movies better? Nope. I think just scrapping the whole thing, starting from scratch, that's how you improve the series at this point because right now they're just on too, you know, really shaky ground. All right, we move on to the next question. And the next question comes to us from Nicole Shearsat, who writes... By the way, if I butcher your name, I'm totally sorry. Um, are Marvel and Fox sharing custody of the Maximoff twins? Fox has Quicksilver, and Marvel has Scarlet Witch, and killed off their Quicksilver. Is it an agreement that they came to resolve the dispute over who owns the rights to the characters? Um, this is an older question, but it, it you know it's worth bringing up again because obviously Scarlet Witch is still going, um, and Quicksilver is still going in the X Men universe. Here's the the issue with that, okay? A long time ago, Kevin Feige and Joss Whedon both made mention that when Marvel and Fox made their deal about the character separations, the only two characters, they, they stressed this, that the only two characters that were kind of in a gray area that the contract allowed for both Fox and Marvel to use was... Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, the kids of Magneto. Those were the only two characters. They didn't resolve it later. That was in the original agreement, but it was those two characters and only those two characters. Now, there were some stipulations with that as well. For instance, in the comics, you know, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are, you know, are associated with X-Men, children of Magneto, but they've also been Avengers and all this kind of stuff. So Fox could not mention Avengers at all obviously. And Marvel, when using Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver in the Marvel movies, were not allowed to use the word mutants and were not allowed to make any reference to Magneto. 
So that's why you see in like Age of Ultron, when we meet Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, they are genetically changed by, I believe it was Loki's staff and the experiments that Hyru was doing on. That's what gave them their powers. They're not mutants. They weren't born with those powers. Also, you never hear Magneto mentioned. And when you watch, you know, Quicksilver in the X-Men films, you don't hear anything about Avengers or anything like that. So yes, both properties right from the beginning have been allowed to be used by both Fox and Marvel with the stipulation that Marvel can't mention Mutant or Magneto and Fox can't mention the Avengers at all. And that's how uh, that whole deal worked out. All right. Thanks a lot for the question. We move on now to the next question. And this next question comes to us from Michael Clock, who writes... What do you think is motivating studios to pump out lazy, big-budget spectacles that don't bring profit? Much smaller-budget movies like Get Out and Deadpool made more money and profit than Batman vs. Superman, Suicide Squad, The Mummy, and Transformers 5. Well, <clears throat> yes and no. Um, here's the thing. One of the things that we as film fans and people in general do, and this is a big mistake, but we all do it, is that we make arguments based on exceptions. And what do I mean by that? Here's an example. Taking, if you're in a basketball game, heaving up a shot from midcourt is a bad idea because the percentage of time that a shot from midcourt, halfway down the court, the percentage of times that that shot is actually going to go in is very small. The percentage is very, very, very small. But every once in a while, if you're watching the sports highlights, you'll see that as the clock is running down to zero, somebody was at midcourt and they heave up a half-court shot and it goes in. Yay! Making arguments based on exceptions is when people would then go, see, you should take shots from midcourt because that guy did it and it went in. Therefore, you should take shots from midcourt. No, that was the exception. The percentage of success of taking that shot is extremely small. Yes, there are exceptions, but you can't base your philosophy on exceptions. Now, when you say like, hey, Deadpool was made for $50 million and it made 600, 700 million. So that's what studios should do. How many $50 million movies do you think make $700 million? Deadpool is the exception. Uh, Get Out did not make as much money as Batman versus Superman. I mean, certainly not worldwide. It didn't make $700 million. It did make a lot of money for a small budget film. It's, though, the exception. How many movies that are made for like $12 million or less make a hundred or, you know, make $300 or $400 million worldwide? Very few. There are some, but they are the exception. Yes, the first paranormal activity was made for bus fare and it made hundreds of millions of dollars. But how many films actually do that that are made for that small of budget? That much. Now, not every film that's made with giant blockbuster budgets makes big money. Certainly they don't. But there is a higher percentage of that, those movies that do. So, I mean, if you just want to do the math, if you want to look at math and statistics, then the odds of probability say that a movie that is made for $150 million has a much higher chance of making $500 million worldwide than a movie that's made for $40 million. That's just the law of... I mean, just look at the numbers. That's what the numbers tell us. So when you say things like, why do studios make lazy big budget? Well, first of all, there's nothing lazy about the Transformers. The amount of man hours... And I think the movie sucks. But the amount of man hours and energy and effort and money that went into that movie, it is erroneous 
to say that Transformers is lazy. It ain't lazy. Lazy isn't the problem. Dumb is the problem. Lazy is not the problem. So yeah, it's true. Some movies like Get Out and Deadpool, which are made for much smaller budgets, end up making nearly or sometimes more than the big budget movies. But those are the rare exceptions. They do happen. We'll get one or two of those or maybe even three or four every year, but they are the rare exception. And you can't base a philosophy around that exception. So why do studios crank out the big budget movies? Because the big budget movies like, you know, Jurassic World, like Avatar, like Star Wars, The Force Awakens, like The Avengers, like movies like that. These are the movies that join the billion dollar club. And yeah, sometimes the smaller films can make big money, but that's the exception. So we got to be careful to avoid that argument based on the rule of exception because it's, it's a fallacy. You just lead yourself down a dark path that way. Okay. Anyway, thanks a lot for the question. And the next question comes, comes to us today from Thomas Levesque, who writes, in honor of the house, what's your favorite Will Ferrell movies? Yeah. Like I said, I'm going to go see the house tonight. I'm nervous as hell because, like I said, the studio didn't screen it for um, for critics, which to me tells me that the studio doesn't think the movie's any good, which is unfortunate because I love both Will Ferrell and Amy Poehler. I think they're both great. I am so in love with Parks and Rec. Parks and Recreation, I mean, the more time that passes, the more and more I appreciate that show. Like, I never would have said a year or two ago that Parks and Rec maybe is in my top 10 favorite TV shows of all time, but the more time passes and I jump on Hulu and watch reruns of it, I am now thinking Parks and Rec might be my top 10 favorite TV shows of all time. Ron Swanson is one of the greatest characters ever in the history of television. Uh, So I love both these people. But to your question, what are my favorite Will Ferrell movies? I have two that are my favorite. I have many of his that I like, but there's two that really stand out as my favorite. My second favorite is, and it's it's weird not to call it my favorite because I love this movie so much, is the first Anchorman movie. Anchorman is pure genius. And Farrell is the lead. And it's got this great collection of actors in it. Like Paul Rudd wasn't as big of a star as he is today. I mean, 40-year-old virgin really put Paul Rudd on the map. Some people will say it was uh, Clueless. Some people will say it was Friends. I think it was 40-year-old virgin. Uh, Steve Carell. Nobody knew the name Steve Carell when Anchorman came out. Uh, so that was a big thing for him. I mean, they might recognize him as that guy, the, the newsman who did the weird faces in the first Bruce Almighty. But they, he didn't become a household name until Anchorman. But Anchorman is just flat-out comedic genius. I mean, I laugh from start to finish in that movie. And the only film that could possibly beat Anchorman, for me, as my favorite Will Ferrell film, has got to be Step Brothers. Step Brothers. And it's funny to me because I talk to a lot of people who haven't even seen Step Brothers. <laughs> but Will Ferrell and John C. Riley are comedic gold. Step Brothers is in my probably top three or four, to me, funniest movies ever made. Funniest movies ever made. I just, that that movie is just insanely good. I love it so much. Every moment of that movie that either Will Ferrell or John C. Riley are on screen, and that's pretty much the whole movie, is hilarity in its purest form. I really recommend it. If you have not watched Step Brothers, or if you have not watched Step Brothers in a while, do yourself a favor, go back and give it another view because I believe you will be glad that you did. All right, we now get to the final question of the day. And the final question of the day comes to us from Damon Morton, who writes, 
With the success of Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and Wonder Woman, who is now the most successful Chris? Chris Pine? Chris Pratt? Chris Hemsworth? Or Chris Evans? Yeah, great question. Uh, let's see. I don't know that I would bring up Wonder Woman because, you know, Chris Pratt... Well, no, I, I guess Chris Pine, you can count. He's the male lead in that film, so that counts. And Chris Pine also has the Star Trek franchise as well. He was really funny in Horrible Bosses 2, even though the movie itself wasn't as good as the original. I think the answer has to be Chris Pratt because he is the lead in Guardians of the Galaxy and Guardians of the Galaxy 2, so there's that. Jurassic World is the number four all-time box office champion, so there's that. So there's three big smash hit movies that are his, and maybe I'm also a little bit biased because he's also one of the main players in Parks and Recreation, which he was just hilarious in. Cannot take away from the success of Chris Evans, cannot take away from the success of Chris Hemsworth. I love both of those guys, or Chris Pine. I really like him too. These are four fabulous Chris's. I like them all. But if you had to, I think, I actually think the answer is pretty clear. The most successful one, per se, not necessarily saying who is the best one. I think if I had to go with the best one, I might say Chris Evans. But Chris Pratt is great. And I think the numbers clearly point that he's probably the most successful one as well. All right, guys, that'll do it for me for the John Campia podcast today. Thank you so much for joining me. Listen, if you're listening to this audio podcast, make sure you come on over to my YouTube channel. That's at youtube.com slash John Campia. And please subscribe to my YouTube channel. Like I said, I just put up my Spider-Man Homecoming review. I'll have my review for the house coming up a little bit later and a whole bunch of other stuff. Daily, I've got the John Campia podcast. And every afternoon, I have the movie vlog, which is me talking about the day's movie news. So please make sure to go and check that out. And if you're watching this on YouTube, why not? Just for the heck of it, open up your favorite podcasting app and subscribe to the John Campia podcast. And make sure you're following me on Facebook and on Twitter, just at John Campia. That'll do it for me, guys. And please, once again, if you're watching this on YouTube, jump in the comments and let me know, does this video thing work for you or is it just as well for me to just go back to audio only? I want your input. You guys will decide the direction that I take this thing. So thanks a lot again. And until next time, bye-bye.